Hello, and welcome to the Everyday MTB Hot Lap Podcast, and I'm your host, Matt Stenson. And in this podcast, we're going to be looking at this week's MTB news uh, in a very brief format. So this is a quick way to catch up on the latest things happening in mountain biking uh, with us over here at EverydayMTB.com. For more detailed articles and reviews, check out EverydayMTB.com and get all of the details there. All right, so kicking things off, you know, we don't usually cover a lot about racing, but it is notable that the uh, UCI World Championships did go off this last week. I had a chance to watch a few of the races and just had a few thoughts and hot takes on those races. Um, You know, they were interesting. They were in Leo Gang, uh, which has hosted uh, many World Cups and World Championships in the past, and... The uh, time of year, though, (laughs) was a bit later in the year, and uh, the conditions were pretty awful. And I have to say, I was a little surprised that the organizers did not take that into account more in the way that the tracks were designed, both in the cross-country race and the downhill races. um, It was pretty painful to watch. It was an absolute mud bog in uh, both formats and I have to say I don't know if the best mountain biker won all of the races uh, since there was just so many variables that are on the edge of a mountain biker's control when you're riding in conditions that are so muddy and sloppy and horrible Um, you know it's not really what these uh, people train for is for that amount of variability. The, the conditions that these riders were riding in are riders that are conditions that most riders wouldn't ever ride in. Um, you, you know, the trails would be closed down. So it was a little disappointing to watch. Um, you would think they could have done something to, uh, to make the trails more manageable, put them on rock more, something. Uh, but at any rate, it was still good to see some racing and, uh, I'm not going to go into all the uh, the details of who won everything and all that, but just for the future, I, I would hope that, um, you know, with modified schedules like this, and just in general, that uh, race organizers would consider the weather a bit more and uh, design the courses appropriately so that they don't end up just being uh, these kind of unwatchable mud fests, because um, I don't... I don't think that's what anyone in uh, in mountain biking wants to watch. All right, so moving on from racing news, um, let's look at some of the new products that were announced and released this week. So first up, and probably made the biggest splash, is the new Specialized Stump Jumper. Uh, so the Stump Jumper has been around since uh, forever. Um, it started out as a hardtail, a fully rigid bike. Um, and Specialized has, of course, um, evolved it um, to the point now that it is their uh, go-to trail bike in their lineup. And they've done something uh, pretty interesting, though, with this revision. Uh, first of all, there is only one wheel size now. So you can only get the Stump Jumper in a 29er wheel size. Uh, 
They used to offer stump jumpers as a 27.5 bike and a 29er, and that is no longer the case. It's uh, 29 or bust at this point. In addition, uh, they've done something really interesting with the suspension. And this is where I got a little annoyed with what, uh, what Specialized has done here. Uh, in the past, the, uh, the suspension setup on almost all Specialized bikes has been a horse link suspension. Uh, they have used single pivot in the past for some of their very uh, uh, racy XC bikes, so like the Epics and, and that type of thing. But overall, trail enduro bikes have all been um, horse-link suspension, uh, which means that there is a pivot in the rear uh, underneath the rear axle. So uh, that is now gone, <laughs> kind of, from the Specialized Stump Jumper. The uh, horse-link has been replaced with a flex stay and a single pivot. So what that means is that there is no pivot near the rear axle and instead the, uh, the seat stays uh, flex in order to have a single pivot uh, set up for the suspension. But, and this is the big but, um, even though that is the story for the stump jumper carbon, that is not the story for the more budget-friendly stump jumper alloy models. Those models stay with the horse link suspension. And this is where I have a little bit of a beef with how Specialized has marketed this. They're gonna get the full marketing splash from the, uh, you know, this new suspension layout with a single pivot, which I think probably will ride amazing and is probably a better suspension layout, in my personal opinion. I've never agreed well with horse link uh, suspensions, I think they're kind of finicky and you have to get it exactly right in order for it to work well. Um, and I think single pivot just is, is uh, with today's modern shocks, it just works better um, and is, is more pleasurable to ride. But the confusion is going to be they're going to have this whole marketing splash from going to, for going to single pivot with a flex day on their carbon bikes. And dealers and customers are going to have to try to delineate that the carbon stump jumper has one suspension system and the alloy stump jumper has a different suspension system. And this is really confusing, especially for someone who's buying their first, you know, um, full suspension bike, which the stump jumper is for a ton of people. And so I really wish they had done something different in their marketing and in their naming to make this way clearer for people. Because you're going to walk into a bike shop and be looking at the stump jumpers and maybe you'll read some reviews online and all of those reviews are probably going to be for the stump jumper carbon. And uh, when you are looking at the stump jumpers then, you're going to be looking at them and maybe you decide you don't want carbon, you want the alloy version, and you have to realize that you aren't getting the same suspension platform. And I don't care whether they say that, you know, they've tried to tune the kinematics so that it will ride more similar. Um, you know, that's what Specialized says. I, a horse link is going to ride very different from a single pivot suspension. And that, that's 
just the way it is. Um, I don't think there's any kind of tuning they can do to, to really make that happen in reality. And then to add to the confusion even further, they also have the Stump Jumper Evo. And the Stump Jumper Evo, which is their longer travel version of the Stump Jumper, is also going to have a horse link suspension. And so they've really, I, I feel like they've really confused their naming at this point. And I really w wish they had done something, uh, you know, like Ibis has done, uh, where when they went with their first uh, alloy uh, full suspension bike in a long time, they called it the Ripmo because it had similarities to the Ripmo, but it was the Ripmo AF. So it was very clear that this is a different bike with different handling characteristics from their carbon counterparts. And that's fine if they want to design the alloy and the carbon versions of the bike separately. Um, their argument that they can't do flex stays in alloy, I don't know. That may be true uh, because of the material characteristics of, of alloy. Uh, other brands do do flex stays, but why didn't they just make the naming clearer? Um, when you walk into a bike shop, you should say, all right, I'm getting a stump jumper, and you know what suspension platform you're getting. Right now, you walk in the door of a bike shop, and you're looking at the stump jumpers, and you might get any one of several different suspension layouts. And I think that's really hard. It's going to make also, you know, people who are demoing bikes, it's going to make it a lot harder for them. Because usually what you could do, uh, you know, with a lot of bikes is you could demo the carbon version and you could say, okay, I like the way this bike rides. Um, I like the way the suspension works up and downhill, all of that kind of thing. And I'm going to decide to save some money add in some arguments some durability by going to the alloy version, add a little weight, and get that alloy version. And you won't be able to do that with the stump jumpers anymore um, because they're running these different suspension platforms. So I really wish they had maybe you know brought back another one of their names, named the alloy version something else, um, or maybe you know they could have done the, uh, yeah, some, something else, something to make it clearer instead of it just being, you know, two models that are on the same page when you are looking at stump jumpers on the website but have a different suspension platform. Now, that all being said, that's kind of my hot take on, on just the way they're confusing potentially customers. Um, all that being said, I think the new stump jumper looks really hot. I think it will probably ride amazing, uh, the carbon version I'm speaking of. It has 140 millimeters of travel up front, 130 millimeters in the rear. Um, has a flip chip to adjust the giant geometry. The builds um, overall, you know, they make sense for what they are charging. Uh, and I have to say, I think it is going to be a really good riding bike. And probably a bike that a fair number of people, if you're looking for a carbon bike in that, you know, 4,000 plus range, is probably a really good value. Um, now, that all being said, they have another thing that they are doing that, oh, it just feels so confusing. Instead of using kind of the traditional sizing model um, that mountain bikes have used for a long time of extra small, small, medium, large, extra large, and extra, extra large, 
Um, and usually that was based kind of on, you know, reach, the average height of a person that would want that kind of reach, that kind of thing. Instead, specialized needs to be special. <laughs> and they have S1, S2, S3, S4, S5, S6. And I did, this, this model, I don't know why. They even have a chart that converts the, you know, S2 is equivalent to a small. And then here's the, the height riders that probably will fit well on this bike. It just makes the purchase harder, I think, because if you're, if you're looking at a bike shop and, and you're looking at, you know, maybe a bike shop carries several brands and they're like, oh yeah, I'm a medium on a Rocky Mountain, uh, Thunderbolt, let's say. Um, and so I'll probably want a medium and other brands too. Well, when you look at the bike, you're going to see S3. You know, what, what is S3? Who knows? Um, and so I feel like this is another case where Specialized is making things unnecessarily complex for the, the buyer. So uh, I, maybe, it will, maybe it will help um, because they're trying to base it more off of that different types of riders might ride different bikes, like they're saying, you know, uh, a very aggressive rider um, at an average of, you know, 5.8 might ride an S4 bike, which is a larger size, it would be equivalent to a large, and a very conservative rider uh, who wants a very nimble bike might ride an S2. And yeah, that so that's great, but <laughs> uh, it makes shopping between brands harder. Um, and it kind of reflects this feeling of specialized being that they are the only bike brand out there. And, um, you know, I have a stump jumper in my garage right now that has weird shock mounts because they, for some reason, didn't want to have standard shock mounts. Um, and so it's hard to replace the shock on that particular bike. All, all of these types of things, I... If you can stick with the standards and you aren't getting some kind of huge gain from being off of the standard, just stick with the standards, bike manufacturers. It's It makes everyone's life a lot easier. It'll make your bike shops, it'll make it easier for them to sell your bikes. Okay, so obviously I haven't ridden the Stump Jumper yet. Don't know how it will ride, but from everything on the geo charts and everything, it looks like a great bike. So let's move on to uh, another new product. This is an aftermarket product from E13. They have new cassettes, and uh, these cassettes have always um, kind of you know, been divisive because E13 is always pushing the limits of what drivetrains can do. And so they're always going past you know, what SRAM and Shimano factory recommendations are. Um, so they have new Helix uh, cassettes that are 12 and 11 speed. And so they're going from uh, 9 to 50 on the 12 speed and 9 to 46 on the 11 speed. And so they're going down to that tiny nine-tooth cog um, in order to increase the range. So on, on an, the 12 speed, you're getting 556% range and 511% range. Um, uh, 
So they have some other differences kind of from what they did with their TRS stuff. It's got, um, you know, a nicer looking big tooth. Uh, the, the, always the big tooth is, um, is an aluminum cog is kind of the way their system works. Um, they have some additional weight savings, uh, but the price is still kind of a crazy, you know, $290 for an aftermarket cassette. And uh, then if you wear out part of it, I guess you can replace the two alloy cogs, you know, for, um, I think, around uh, 150 bucks, 160 bucks, something like that. Um, oh, I guess it's 130 But at any rate, um, it's fine that E13 makes this. Should most people buy it? Absolutely not. You have to have a really specialized purpose that you need that kind of range. Um, and whenever you go off of the manufacturer's setup, so SRAM makes a cassette, they make a derailleur, they make a shifter, and they're all designed to work together. And the engineers actually do do work to make those all work together really well. Um, I, I think you're asking for trouble. Um, and, you know, when you... If you were to bash this against a rock and you break a tooth and you walk into a shop and you're trying to get a replacement, they almost for sure are not going to have an E13 Helix in stock. They might have, or even if you're looking online, you're going to be able to find, you know, a Shimano or SRAM uh, cassette that will be, um, you'll be able to replace it with, you know, if you break teeth, that kind of thing. Also... The price, I don't know. For for an aftermarket thing that you aren't guaranteed by your derailleur and shifters manufacturer that's going to work well, um, I feel like that's a, too big of a price. You know, almost three hundred dollars you're paying um, to get this cassette. Yeah, I, in my opinion, that's too much. And what I think is more interesting, honestly are some of these real low-end cassettes that have wide range still that are coming out. So Advent has their Microshift system. Uh, I believe it's called Advent X. Uh, I'm sorry, Microshift has the Advent X. And, um, you know, that whole drivetrain is a 10, 10 or 11, I believe, 10-speed drivetrain um, with about 480% range, something around that, uh, you know, comes in for less than just this cassette. So, nice try, E13. I don't know. I'm not super interested. All right, another um, kind of interesting story that came out that I actually saw hints of um, Marin Bikes started posting about their Rift Zone 27.5. Now, this is a bike that I've ridden the Rift Zone, and then it's a 29er. And so I'm like, what are you talking about your 27.5 Rift Zone? And so I saw a mention of it on Instagram, um, and I was like, what is going on here? And, well, come to find out that apparently the 27.5, their 27.5 trail bike was always called the um, Hawk Hill. And apparently there is some legal trouble around that name. So the Hawk Hill has gotten a ton of press as being a great budget trail bike 
Rift Zone as well. I've ridden Rift Zone. It's a, it's a great bike. Um, really like that bike and would suggest it to a lot of people. Um, but apparently, um, the uh, Hawk Hill, someone somewhere set up a new bike company and threatened Marin with uh, legal, legal, uh, um, legal proceedings over this the the name of the Hawk Hill. Uh, so, so Marin has just renamed it the Rift Zone 27.5 instead. Seems like a good move from Marin. Probably not worth the legal fight, even though they have a lot of stock in that Hawk Hill name already. But they're just letting it go. And so you now have a Rift Zone 29, a Rift Zone 27.5, and the Rift Zone Junior, which was a uh, it's a 26 slash 24 inch uh, kids bike. So in some ways it clears up their line a little bit. Uh, and um, so if you're looking for a Hawk Hill in the future, or if you read reviews of the Hawk Hill, you'll now be looking for the Riv Zone 27.5. Kind of a funny little thing. All right. And then finally, uh, this is a new trend that seems to be catching on is everyone is making things to stick in your bar ends um, that have random things that come out of them, tools, plugs, all, all kinds of stuff that comes out of, your, out of the ends of your handlebars. Uh, Dynaplug has jumped into this game. Uh, they are a tire plug maker. Um, a lot of people argue that Dynaplugs are probably the best plugs out there. Uh, and in this case, they are making a bar end plug tool. Um, it uh, threads into the end of um, end of your your bar, and it has a Dynaplug insertion tool in it. So, um, as with most things Dynaplug, it's kind of pricey at seventy dollars. Uh, so, if you are really wanting to pull a uh, tire plug out of your bar end, you can get this, I guess. Um, otherwise. You can throw one in your pack, tape one to somewhere else on your bike. There's lots of other options, and you can pay, you know, about 10 bucks for a plug of some sort. Um, so, yeah, okay. You can, you can put stuff in your, in your barns. Uh, I've also seen people that kind of hack this in themselves and have something in their barn that they can pull out. And, uh, but, eh, it, okay, it's fine. Uh, you can check out the link if you want to see it. Uh, in the show notes. All right, so I think that brings us to the end of new stuff for this week. And thanks for coming along on this hot lap. As always, check out everydaymtb.com for more content. And we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>